Well, good morning, Edinburgh. Yeah, I want to say Happy New Year to each and every one of you. Uh, way to go. Uh, taking the effort to, uh, making the effort just to get here to church. Uh, what a great way, I think, to kick off the year. If you're watching online, hey, we're glad you're part of what's happening here as well. And I just want to say right now, just a blessing. Just pronounce a blessing on you, each and every one of you, uh, for what God is going to do in your life and through your life uh, in the year 2020. Um, we have some really cool things to celebrate coming out of 2019. Uh, many of you know who have been around for a while, we were in a campaign called the Father's Heart Campaign. We were trying to raise $60,000 to do renovations in our children's space, uh, in our youth space. These are growing spaces where just some work is needed to help us with the growing ministries taking place there. Uh, we didn't raise sixty. We raised 70. So I want to just say, way to go, uh, Edinburgh Church. Yeah, that's something we can, we can certainly applaud. And, and there's a lot that we could actually celebrate this morning. Uh, but uh, what gets me the most excited and, and what gets the leadership around here the most excited is that in 2019, uh, we witnessed 96 individuals make a first-time decision for Jesus Christ through this ministry. <laughs> Friends, that's incredible. That's incredible. Heaven grew that much bigger because of you and uh, what you're doing in and through uh, this, this uh, your support of, of this ministry and what God's doing here. So thank you. Um, we're, we're kicking off a, a series today called God Can I Trust You? Uh, there are going to be times in our life, and it doesn't matter whether you have a little faith or you have a lot of faith, there are going to be times where you're going to find yourself in a circumstance or a situation and you wonder, God, can I really trust you? And, and so wherever you're at on that spectrum, little faith, a lot of faith, you're going to need encouragement and you're going to need to know, God, in this moment, in this battle that I'm facing right now, can I really trust that you are going to come through for me. Well, this is one of the reasons God gives us his word. He gives us the Bible because it is filled with promises and filled with stories of how even when things seemed impossible, God came through for those who put their trust and their, their faith in him. And so this morning, the title of this message is, is When I Face a Challenge. But I, I want to kick it off by just asking us all a question. What is your resolution this year? You know, as we kick off 2020, what are you committing yourself to begin this year in, in the year 2020? One of the reasons I love dogs is because you get on a leash for dogs and dogs get excited. I think we've got some video of, of, of some dogs. I mean, they just see a leash and I mean, look at how dogs get so excited when you just get out that leash. They are ready to go. Look at this dog. I, you can barely, you can't retain. He's like, let's go. Let's, let's get going. Dogs just are filled with excitement. They're filled with life. Look at this dog. Look at that. Okay? And then there's cats. I mean, see, we know dogs are, all dogs go to heaven, but look at the, cats, I don't know. I, <laughs> All right, moving on. I'll let you decide where cats go. Um, uh, listen, about two years ago, Danielle and I, my wife, we, we decided to clean out our, our basement, and so we started tackling these, uh, the messiness down in our basement because 
Uh, we had moved in. We hadn't really gone through a lot of stuff, and it was time. So by the time we were, it was all said and done, we stacked up all these boxes in my garage. And uh, the, the boxes, I mean, I kid you not, were almost up to the ceiling. Uh, that's how many boxes uh, we had to get rid of. It was too many boxes to, to uh, put out for uh, the recycling. Who comes every two weeks? They, we, we tried. They wouldn't pick it up. Um, we, it was carloads worth of, of you know, taking um, to, the, to the recycling center. And, and so it just sat there, honestly. And, and what you got to understand about me is I love my garage, okay? Uh, Danielle accuses me of, of keeping the garage cleaner than the house, all right? That's because that's my, 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 my safe place. That's where I get away from the kids, all right? Uh, th- so I love my garage, and now I've got this giant mess in my garage to make matters worse. We bought this, this new grill, and um, this it was the biggest box I've ever seen. And We could barely get this box through the house to get it in the garage, but it got so bad, it was taking up like a quarter of, our, of, of my garage with all these boxes. When I would park in the garage, I would literally have to park over boxes. And it was just this giant uh, pile and mess now in, in my garage. And so I prayed about it. I just prayed, God, would you please <laughs> resolve this? Get rid of these boxes. Nothing happened. I hoped that my kids, maybe out of their love for their, for their caring, you know, devoted father, would, would, would carry these boxes off back into the basement where I believed that they belonged in the first place. But they didn't. The boxes just sat there. And, and so I, again, for like a year, just a pile of boxes taking over in my garage. I didn't know what to do. But, but then, as I, as I sat there and I just observed one day, I made a decision that what I was going to do was just start cutting the boxes up into small pieces. And, and every time the recycling would come around, I would just take some of these small pieces and put them in, in the, the recycling. And I did this for about two months, and it didn't seem like I was getting anywhere. But about two months later, I, I finally started to notice a small dent in this pile of boxes. And then about three months later, it actually started to feel like I was going to win this, this battle. And, and, and a couple of months after that, I remember the day where I put the last pieces of box in the recycling and got rid of it. Uh, besides, you know, being married to Danielle and, and, and having kids, this was like the greatest day of my life, all right? Now, I don't have much of a life, okay, but, but I, I was so excited to get rid of these boxes, this, this mess that I'd been sitting there looking at for almost a year, and now it was finally out of my garage, and I had my garage back. And here's what it taught me. It taught me that small acts repeated over time lead to big victories. It's not the big things. It's the small acts repeated over time that lead to big victories in our life. That goes for getting a degree in school, saving money, raising kids, growing a church, starting a business. It's small acts that lead to big victories in our life. And so I want to ask you, what is that mess in your life right now? And where do you need to start? What, what is so overwhelming you right now that you think, I can't do that, I can't overcome that? Because the truth is, whatever the big pile of boxes in your life is, you can start doing something. Start doing something. You know, you can start breaking off pieces of your debt. You can start breaking off pieces of your weight. You can start 
Breaking out pieces of that textbook, that 300-page textbook you've got to read or that assignment at work. You know, all of us this year could read one page a day out of the Bible. This year. And all of us could spend 30 seconds to a minute every day this, this year praying to God. And here's what will happen five years from now or 10 years from now. Your life will change for the better. Your life will change for the better through these very small acts that you could start doing today. You will gain victory in your life through these small acts. And there's a story in the Bible that models this so well. It took place in 400 BC. The city of Jerusalem at this time is laying in rubble. Okay, uh, It had been sacked and destroyed. And the people living there had been scattered all throughout Asia, living in exile. You know, meaning with they, they didn't have a home. Uh, homeland, uh, which brings us to one man, this man, Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah happened to get a job with, with the Persian king. He wasn't a man of special talent or skill that we know of. Uh, he didn't have any authority, but he gets this job as the Persian king's cupbearer. Basically, I mean, he, he, he's like a butler, okay, to, to the king. Uh, and then as he's in the courts, one day he hears about the conditions of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's been in, in ruin, again, for 200 years. But as he hears how the walls continue to crumble and the, the few people that are still living there are, are in, in, in trouble, he realizes he, he's got to do something. And so he gets permission from the Persian king and he starts gathering people to go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding this, this city, this, this city of the Jewish people. Jerusalem's 800 miles away, and so he starts recruiting stone workers, craftsmen, commoners, and with the help of God, listen to this, he's able to rebuild the city. I mean, you talk about a challenge. The city is being attacked, and surrounding nations don't want Jerusalem being rebuilt. But he's able to go with basically these misfits and, and, and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. In fact, we read this in Nehemiah 6, that uh, the wall was completed in 52 days. That's incredible. So it's been in ruin for 200 years. Now in 52 days, it's completed. And then we read, when all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid, lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of, of God. And so with this, this ragtag group, Nehemiah goes back into Jerusalem and is able to start rebuilding the city, which starts by rebuilding those walls, a monumental project. And yet with God's help, he's able to do it. How? That's what I want to talk about this morning. When we face challenge, a challenge like that, something that seems impossible, what do we do? Well, the first thing we learn from, from the book of Nehemiah is that he fasted and he prayed. In verse 4 of chapter 1, we read that when Nehemiah heard these things, he says, I sat down and I wept over the condition of his city. Uh, he says, for some days I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of, of heaven. You know, he, he realized right away, I need God's help in this thing. I can't do this in my own strength. And I don't like fasting you know, meaning abstaining from food, sometimes drink too for a time, because I, I like food, <laughs> so I don't like fasting. But the first thing he does is fast and pray because he knew 
Without God's help, this thing was absolutely going to fail. By the way, last week we kicked off our 21 days of prayer. So many of you wanted to be a part of that. We ran out of the guides. We printed a bunch more guides. You can start that today. Grab one of those guides on your way out. Join people across the world who are praying for our individual churches, our communities, and and the world uh, around us. You can start that. Um, But I, I can tell you, I fasted and prayed Many times in my life, uh, many of you know I come out of a, you know, addiction and have a, have a past with that. Uh, and so when I became a believer, I spent time fasting and, and praying, fasting about my future because, friends, I, I'm a high school dropout. It, my future seemed very bleak, and I knew I was not going to have a future without God's help. Uh, I think one of the worst enemies to so many of us is just feeling self-sufficient. I I do. I think that's what keeps, it holds so many of us back from not experiencing more, the more that God wants all of us to experience. But when we are desperate, we realize, I, I, God, I need you. Fasting is a great way to let God know that we need him. And so I prayed for my future. Danielle and I have fasted and prayed for our kids over the years. As a church, when we face some big crisis here, uh, the leadership has oftentimes fasted and pray. Now, again, I don't like fasting, and I don't do it as often as I should, but during a fast, what you're saying is that you were so desperate for God's help that you were willing to forego food as a sign of singular dependence on him. And I can tell you, though there is a mystery to it that I don't fully understand, uh, that when we have fasted and prayed, fully depending on God, He has answered those prayers in my life and in the life of this church in some unbelievable ways. And so I just wonder, what if we spent, uh, started off this year, 2020, you considered maybe this week, doing some fasting and some prayer, uh, just say, God, I need you, and I want more, and I I, I want to experience more of you here in in this world. Something that I would challenge you with is your pastor who loves you. Okay, so that's the first thing Nehemiah did. He fasted and he prayed because he knew he needed God help. But the second thing he did, he defined his reality. He defined his reality. After you pray about whatever problem you're facing, the hard school year, massive conflict at work or in your marriage, could be the condition of your finances, the next thing you have to do is be honest about your situation and face the facts. This is what Nehemiah did, verse 13, chapter two. I love this. Nehemiah says that by night, I went out through the valley gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And if we were to continue reading, what we would see is Nehemiah went out and inspected every gate, every wall, every pile of rubble, and every detail. Because here's the truth. When you live by faith, you don't ignore the facts. When you live by faith, you don't ignore the facts. A lot of believers struggle in this area. They say, I have faith. And so they begin ignoring the facts. That, you know, the, the mess is piled up in their garage. They say, I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to think about that. I don't need to deal with that ultimately uh, because I, I have faith. But when you have faith, you don't ignore the facts. You pray, of course, but then you got to start digging around and you got to start asking questions. What is the reality that I'm living with right now? 
Behind every faith move we've made here at Edinburgh Church, I can tell you, there have been dozens and dozens of meetings where we poured over spreadsheets and numbers and assessed the facts. And generally, as lead pastor, I need a reality check in four areas. I need to know what is the state of our finances, because we can't do ministry without finances. That is just the reality. I got to know what is the status of our staff. Are there tensions or things that need to be dealt with? I've got to know, what is the status of our church? Are people inviting? Do we have new people coming? You know, are we, are we serving? Those kinds of things. And then ultimately, I've got to know, are we accomplishing our goals? Where are we at with the goals uh, that, we, that we have set? Okay, but here's the question I want to ask you. What is your reality? What are the facts concerning your life? For example, what's the condition of your soul right now? Would you say it is well with my soul? Or, or is there turmoil going on there? If you have children, what, what is the condition of your children right now? Are they growing in their faith and walking with Jesus and making good decisions? Or are they struggling? Okay, how about your relationships? Are they healthy and strong, or do you blow through relationship after relationship and then assume it's everyone, that everyone else is, is the problem? Listen, if the walls are crumbling in some area of your life, you have to face the facts and ask this question. What is going on here? What do I need to know? What is the condition of my life? Now, that can be scary, and that's why you need to have faith. You don't avoid the faith. In fact, what facing the facts will do is exercise your faith. That's where you then have to say, okay, now, God, I'm going to you. Here are the facts. Here's the reality. Now I'm going to trust you with it. Uh, I think this was, what, three years ago, maybe? Uh, my daughter, Callie, I think she had just turned two. We went with the entire family, Logan and Michaela, to uh, Rum River Tree Farm. I don't know if you've ever been out there. Uh, right on the Rum River, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful property where people buy Christmas trees, but they also sell other trees that we've got planted in our backyard. And sometimes we just go out there because it's a beautiful property to walk around on. Uh, and, and occasionally they'll do fun things, like they'll have animals out that the kids can play with, goats and chickens and things like that. And so we took the kids out there, and Logan and Michaela uh, were having a blast, but Callie, I think she was about two at the time, she, she got a little restless. She wanted to go. She started saying, can we go? Dad, I want to go. And so we tried to, you know, bribe her with snacks, but we quickly went through the snacks. And so I didn't know what to do because Logan and Michaela really wanted to stay. She really wanted to go. So I, I said this. I said, hey, Callie, why don't you see if you can catch one of those chickens? There are these chickens running around. I thought that's going to keep her preoccupied, right? Well, Danielle and I go back to just kind of talking, having conversation, kind of, you know, took our eye off of Callie. And about five minutes later, I hear, Dad, Dad. And I look over, and Callie caught a chicken. <laughs> she, she caught the chicken. Friends, I'm telling you, this was a miracle. I consider it a miracle. This chicken was, it's flapping, it's wing, its little feet are kicking. You might not think so. I'm like, this is a miracle. Rocky couldn't catch the chicken. No other person could catch the chicken. I said, Callie, go catch the chicken. Five minutes later, she catches the chicken. She said, Dad, Dad, what do I do? You let the chicken go. 
you put the chicken down, which, which she then did. But friends, I, I'm telling you, what, here's my point. Childlike faith. She believed. Childlike faith. So sometimes you got to face those facts, but you still got to have a childlike faith. Even if your, your situation seems impossible, God wants us to have a childlike faith. We don't give up having having faith, but we do assess the facts. Okay, here's the third thing uh, Nehemiah did. He braced for opposition. I'm going to guarantee you something. The moment you begin to face a problem, to take on a challenge, you're going to face opposition, usually in the form of some kind of, of criticism. Nehemiah did exactly what God wanted him to do, and then he got hammered by opposition. Uh, we read this in, in, in Nehemiah 2, that uh, when Sanballat, the, the Horonite, and, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, uh, the, the Arab, heard about it, he said, they mocked and ridiculed us. Talking about rebuilding this wall. They're mocking and ridiculed. You know, what is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? No, Nehemiah had the, the king's permission, but I'm telling you, this is a false accusation. This is what people will do. When you stand up and you try to do something noble or good, the moment you want to do something that God wants you to do, you will be opposed. And maybe you're struggling with an addiction and you just started seeking some help with that. And maybe now your buddies are thinking you've gone soft and that you're, you're, you're no fun to be around anymore. Or maybe your marriage is in trouble, and so you start seeking counseling, and a friend says, why don't you just give up? You know, you're, you're, it's not worth fighting for. Or maybe you just started coming to, to church, and you're a believer, and now your classmates are belittling you, kind of saying, not thinking you're overly religious. I'm telling you, friends, the moment you stand up to do what God wants you to do, to do something good for yourself, your family, your business, your organization, you are going to experience opposition. Every good thing we've tried to do here as a church <laughs> has come with some form of opposition, whether it's from surrounding neighbors or city councils or sometimes even well-meaning uh, members. But, but here's what I believe. One of the signs that you are doing the right thing is that you're going to get criticized. Now, sometimes you're criticized for doing the wrong thing, and you do need to listen to that. And that's why you need to be wise and discerning, and sometimes you need to talk to someone who's godly and wise. But if they tell you you are doing the right thing, I'm telling you, if they say yes, then you move forward. Because one of the signs that you're doing the right thing is you're going to get opposed. It's just the way it is. It's one of the signs that you're doing what God wants you to do. Now, the fourth and the last thing that we see Nehemiah does, you got to start building. You got to start building. You know, after you fasted, you prayed, you've defined reality, you've prepared for opposition, you have to start dealing with the pile of boxes in, in your garage. Again, we read this. I love this. Nehemiah says to the people, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and in one accord, they, they reply, okay, let us start rebuilding. I love it. Here's my question for you. 
What's one thing in your life right now that you would change if you could? I mean, if you had a magic wand and you could make it happen, would it be your debt? Worrying so much about something, your anxiety, savings? Would you change your pace of life? You're always stressed out because of how busy you are. Why are you doing that, by the way? A problem child? It's just like, man, it would be so good if we could get our child back on track. Or maybe it's a problem sibling. I know we could spend some time talking about that too. A problem colleague, roommate, or, or parent. What's the one thing in your life you would change if you could? And then here's my second question. What's one thing you could start this week to accomplish that? To move forward. What would it be? I was reading about John Gresham, uh, the, the, Gresham, the famous um, novelist. Uh, he, was an, he was a lawyer who had this desire to start writing novels. But his life was so busy, he was like, how am I ever going to find the time to, to actually write a novel? It seemed impossible. But what he decided to do was to wake, start waking up at 5 a.m. every day and just write one page. Because he figured, if I can just write one page a day in a year, I will have written a 365-page book. And so he did that. And after a year, he completed his first book called A Time to Kill. It was rejected by 28 publishers when finally an unknown publisher picked it up and it went on to sell 2 million copies. If I understand correctly, with a novel that's only happened a few times in, in the history of the world. But it all started with writing one single page a day. Again, so I ask you, what is it this week that you need to start? John Maxwell, the famous author, entrepreneur, he says, start with whatever you keep saying, I should do that. I, I should do that. Let me give you some, some ideas. Maybe it's your savings. Maybe it's exercising more. Something I'm, I'm going to be taking up this week. Are you noticing? <laughs> saying no. No has become my favorite word. People think I'm such a killjoy, but I love it. No, because when you know what to say no to, then now you know what to say yes to. You know what your priorities are and can live those out. Living within my means. Saying I'm sorry. I had to say I'm sorry to a few people this last month, people I love and care about. Growing my faith. Volunteering. Mentoring. Spending time with a son or daughter. Just visiting a son or, or a daughter, or maybe it's a parent. Writing a note to somebody. Asking for help. Offering to help somebody else. What's the one thing you keep saying, I should do that? Friends, do that. Because nothing's going to happen until you do. And, and all of us, including myself, can be doing something for ourselves spiritually. I honestly believe this. I, I, I believe that all of us are at some kind of starting point spiritually. In fact, I want to show you something. Some of us are, are in this stage. You're an explorer. And you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet. You're just kind of testing the waters and exploring. Is there anything to this Jesus? And I want you to know we are so glad 
that, that you're here and that you're doing that. Romans 3.23 says, you know, all have sinned and fall short uh, of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of his expectations. Um, uh, Romans 3 or 6.23 says the wages of sin is, is death, but the, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so what we want to do is we want to put our faith in this Jesus Christ because once we do that, when we put our faith in Jesus, we, we experience forgiveness. We experience grace. We experience freedom. We experience new life, and, and we become a, a new creation, a new believer. I believe that's the next slide. We, we, we become a new person through the cross. And this is an exciting time in a person's life. This is where, you know, you start wanting to invite your friends to church. You love the worship music. Uh, you're just excited to be a part of what's happening here uh, at, at Edinburgh, and, and you're, you're unashamed, you know, of your excitement. This is a great place to be. But then after this, and it, general rule is it tends to happen after about a few years, you move into the friend of Christ stage. And this is where you start to kind of want to go deeper in your faith. I kind of want to start growing a little more. You get part of some Bible studies, maybe a small group, stuff like that. Um, but I will say this. There's, a, there's a, a subtle danger if you stay too long in this camp. And, and I think most Christians are stuck somewhere in this camp. It, it, it kind of can be characterized by receiving. It kind of becomes more like taking, like I... We start hearing things like feed me and, and pray for me. And these aren't, these aren't bad things. Feed me, like in this, teach and, and, and pray. But it kind of becomes a little bit more about me and, 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 and a little more self-centered. And, and by the way, I can live there. But, but what we need is a second cross. The, the first cross, see, that, that represents salvation, and you get saved, and you become a new creation. But some of us are in a place where we need to take up our second cross. The first cross is salvation. The second cross is the cross of sacrifice. And you move into being Christ-centered. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. If, when we stay too long in that friend of Christ stage, we've, we've noticed, that's when we can kind of start to get a little more critical about things. You start hearing criticism about the worship or, you know, the church. I don't know everyone anymore at the church. Or why does Pastor Brent pick on cats so much? I mean, I can't help you if that's you. But here's what I really believe. God wants to move us from being a friend of Christ to being Christ-centered. And, and when people move from that stage into Christ-centered, what we tend to see happen is they stop complaining so much about the things that, that annoy them, and they get really excited about reaching the explorers. And you can always tell. You, you can always tell when people are now fully living uh, for, for Christ, and it, it becomes more about serving others. By the way, I, I flop back and forth between these last two and uh, being on track or becoming a little bit more about myself. But here's the thing. Most of us are in one of these camps. 
Most of us are in one of these, these phases. And the idea of moving to the next one can, can make us a little nervous. For example, moving from explorer into a new believer. That can be scary, but what if in the year 2020 you did that? And you put your faith in Jesus and became a new believer. From moving from a new believer into a friend of Christ and starting to want to go deeper in your faith, that can be a little, make you a little nervous. And, and then from being a friend of Christ and moving into being Christ-centered, that, that can make you a little nervous as well. But I'm telling you, friends, when you finally move into being Christ-centered, it becomes less about you and more about reaching others, serving others. I'm telling you, this is where it's at. In your life, some of you wonder, why, why am I not, it feels like something's missing. If it's always about you, I'm just telling you, you're going to feel that way. But when it becomes about ultimately serving him, in serving others, what's going to happen is you are going to start to experience a sense of purpose. You're going to start to experience a peace and a joy and happiness that comes from living out the mission that Jesus gave us. I'm just telling you, this is where it's at. But again, I go back and forth between these last two. And I want to end with this. You know, this was many years ago. Um, kind of got to take a once-in-a-lifetime trip uh, to Florida with Danielle's family. And, and we spent some time in Naples, Florida. And uh, I was kind of tired, and I just wanted to relax on the beach. Danielle's family was kind of out in the water, and they were saying, oh, man, you got to get out here. We're seeing some really cool stuff. They had found some cool shells. I'm like, if you've seen one shell, you've seen them all. I'm like, I'm just going to relax here on the beach. You guys have fun. I really was hoping they didn't see anything cool, like maybe just some snails or something. But they're out in the water, and then when all of a sudden they said, whoa, you got to get out here. There's dolphins out here. And I look out, and sure enough, I could see just past kind of the crowd of people, there were these dolphins coming up. And I don't know what came over me, but I got up, I took that first step, I went into the water, and I'm not even like a really like a water guy. Like, I don't really love getting into water, but I got into the water, and I started swimming, and eventually I swam out to these dolphins. And I'm sitting there swimming, and these dolphins are coming up where I can almost touch them. And they're all around me, these dolphins just coming up. And I'm swimming out there. It was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And now the people of Naples, they know me. They call me Dolphin Rider. That's actually the one who rides dolphins. If you want to call me that, um, you feel free. But here's my point. I would have missed out had I not gotten up and taken that first step, gotten in the water, and made to swim. Friends, don't miss out on what God wants to do in your life in the year 2020. What is that challenge? What are you going to start doing this week to deal with it? We get to close this morning by, by taking communion together. And what a great way to kick off 2020. Take communion together and celebrate what Christ has done for us. Uh, in a second, we're going to pass the, the, the cracker and, and the grape juice. And just so you know, it's gluten-free. It's non-alcoholic. Um, don't waste this opportunity. Don't, don't waste this. I mean, we never read that communion is something we're going to do in heaven 
God gave us communion for here on earth. Why? He gave us this act because he knows you and I, we need help. We need a strength that comes from somewhere else. We need life. that it doesn't, it's not, We can't generate that. It comes from somewhere else. It comes from someone else. It comes from Jesus. And as we reflect on what Christ did for us, his body being broken on that cross, his blood being poured out, he gave his life. So friends, you and I could have that life in us. And we do this act on a regular basis because every once in a while, we need to draw new life from Christ. And if you're going to take on that challenge this year, if you're going to take that first step, I'm telling you, you want God in it. So don't waste this time. Spend time in prayer. Connect with God. Look at the facts of your life and say, God, here's where I need your help. I'm drawing strength from you this morning. Will you give it? so that I can accomplish those things in my life this year, maybe, that you want to accomplish. So I'm gonna pray, you're again, you eat, you drink whenever you're ready, but spend this time wisely. Use it to connect with your God who loves you and gave himself up for you so that you could have life in you. Oh, Jesus, we do love you. I know there's so many of us here who are facing challenges. It seems impossible, and maybe their faith is hanging by a thread. But I just would pray that through this message, through our worship this morning, and through this act of communion, we will be reminded nothing is impossible with you. So give us the strength we need. Give us the energy, Lord, and the power we need so that you can show up in our lives and do more than we could ever ask or imagine. We believe that 2020 is going to be an amazing year. And we're going to declare that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.